Hello and welcome to Stories from India. This is a podcast where we talk about myths, legends and folk tales from India. I am your host Narad Muni and I'm a mythological character myself. I have the gift of eternal life and knowledge of the past, the present and the future. By profession, I'm a traveling musician and a storyteller. So the way I'm doing my job is by podcast. In this episode, we are going to talk about Ekalavya. Some of you listeners have asked for this story. And chronologically, in our progression on the Mahabharat, we are in exactly the right place. If you haven't heard of the Mahabharat before, welcome to planet Earth. There are no fixed check-in or check-out times and no free breakfast or free Wi-Fi. Also, don't mind the construction. We are attempting to restructure our atmosphere. It's been overheating easily. The country of India has many stories, but the two absolutely major ones are the Ramayana and the Mahabharat. We have covered both of these on the show before. along with a bunch of other myths as well as folk tales many of the stories on the show stand alone with the ramayana and mahabharata however it will help to have heard the episodes we have covered before you can check out the previous episodes from the links in the show notes but if not here's a quick summary of the mahabharata so far it started with bhishma the crown prince of hastinapur he made a promise that he would not sit on the throne that he would not marry or have children he did this just so that his father could marry satyavati a fisherman's daughter the people of hastinapur were mostly upset because bhishma was a very capable warrior and had all the makings of a fine ruler but a few people pointed out that maybe they had dodged a bullet after all if bhishma didn't get to sit on the throne i mean where was the wisdom in leaving the welfare of the entire country in the hands of satyavati's unborn children just because his father had discovered romance in his retirement years but anyway that's how the story continued satyavati's children and then grandchildren faced one tragedy after another the situation evolved from a problem of not having a successor to the throne to having too many dhritarashtra who was born blind was the current ruler after his brother pandu abdicated and later passed away you might think ancient india had protected employment rights for those with a disability but you'd be wrong dhritarashtra's role was a largely ceremonial one bhishma did most of the administration as he had sworn to do in support of the emperor dhritarashtra had over a hundred children and pandu had five sons 
all those children were healthy and fully qualified to be emperor. I mean, if you check their medical history and IQ tests and so on. The problem was, who should sit on the throne next? Should it be Pandu's son, Yudhishthir, who was also the eldest of the lot? Or should it be Duryodhan, the oldest child of Dhritarashtra? No one clarified this. If they had, it would have saved a lot of lives. But anyway, we begin today's story at school. Dhritarashtra and Queen Gandhari's children, called the Kauravs, together with their cousins, the Pandavs, were at school. Dronacharya University, specifically. Dronacharya was a very accomplished weapons instructor. He was especially skillful at archery. And he had promised to make Arjun, one of the Pandavs, the best archer in the world. Given Dronacharya's skill, this was totally possible. Besides, his was the only university in the known world that offered Archery 101, Archery 201, and Archery 301. And Dronacharya was the only teacher there. Which basically meant, even before final exams, that Dronacharya had promised Arjun would score the highest grade. A bit unscrupulous, you might say. But what do you expect? Most of the Kaurav brothers preferred using a club, as did Bhim, the second oldest Pandav, and Duryodhan. Yudhishthir went for advanced spear fighting instead. And Nakul and Sardev, the youngest Pandavs, preferred the care of horses, a special elective. Something to do with their father's connection with horses, they had said. But Dronacharya hadn't paid attention. Indeed, given this lack of competition, Dronacharya would have awarded the best archer in the world certificate to Arjun just for showing up. The only competition in class was possibly from Ashwatthama, Dronacharya's own son. But the boy had not inherited all of his father's genes when it came to archery. He wasn't bad, certainly, and he would definitely have put many a warrior to shame. But he was not nearly as good as Arjun, despite everything Dronacharya had tried. Now, Dronacharya was a pretty famous instructor, and though he had an exclusive contract to teach the Hastinapur princess, that did not stop others from trying to learn from him. This morning, Dronacharya examined the credentials of the young boy in front of him. Hmm, your scores on the SAT, the skilled archery test, aren't bad, boy. Dronacharya began. Indeed, you'd be easily near the top of my archery class if you were to study here. So, can I enroll then? asked the boy excitedly. Sorry, you can't. 
I've got nothing against you, personally. It's just that you aren't a prince. That surprised the boy. So, I can't even apply? Because I was born different? Aren't we all created equal? Don't we deserve the same rights? To life, liberty and the pursuit of education? My boy, that might look really cool on a declaration of independence or a declaration of human rights a few millennia from now. But right now, this is ancient India. And the golden rule now is that those who have the gold make the rules. Dronacharya University is fully funded by the emperor of Hastinapur who has reserved the rights to decide who qualifies to study here. And the emperor has decided that only the Hastinapur princes can study here. I'm sorry, but what can I do? My hands are tied. The boy looked down, puzzled, at Dronacharya's hands, which were definitely free, as the professor waved them during his speech. I'll tell you what, though, Dronacharya said. I can recommend you to a really great school. It's called the Hastinapur Community College. The professors there are real soldiers, retired from the Hastinapur army. The principal was once the second substitute arrow carrier for Bhishma himself back in the day. Once, he even got to load the arrows into Bhishma's chariot when the first arrow carrier had the flu. Did he actually fire any arrows during his career in the army? asked the boy. Heavens, no, said Dronacharya. What a thought. Why would a soldier need to fire an arrow? Bhishma does all that himself. Anyway, to whom shall I make this letter of recommendation out? Ekalavya, the boy said. He glumly accepted the letter, thanked the teacher, and went his own way, doing some furious thinking. All was fine in Dronachari University after that. For a while. Until the day... Arjun went for a jog in the woods. Nothing wrong with exercise itself. It's just that he came across a dog. He had seen the dog before. It was a stray and a favorite of some of the boys back in school. They would often feed it scraps from their table, especially some of the Kaurav princes. The dog was usually quite loud. Every bark from it sounded like a loud crash of drums. One look at it and Arjun wished he had brought airpods with him. But a few friendly barks weren't going to be terrible. Except, something strange was happening here. The dog was not barking. It made no noise at all. This was puzzling. Something had happened to the dog. Arjun approached the pooch. And then 
he saw something that horrified him. The dog's mouth was shut completely with arrows. There were multiple arrows that had been fired very precisely to seal the dog's mouth shut. And with minimal harm to the dog somehow. The little dog was excitedly wagging his tail and hoping Arjun had a bite to eat in his pocket. It was obviously not intelligent. Otherwise, it would have realized that with its mouth shut, it would not be able to eat. Arjun carefully examined the dog. The arrows had definitely been fired from a bow. But who would do such a thing? If you're thinking that Arjun was appalled by the way the dog had been treated, that's not quite what he had in mind. He was worried that if he had been in the archer's position, he would probably not be able to do as precise a job. That meant he was not the best archer in the world after all. Arjun went off in the direction the dog had come from. And the dog followed him. You must not think ill of Arjun for not calling an ambulance for the poor dog. There was no signal for Arjun to call an ambulance. And even if there had been, cell phones and ambulances didn't exist back in ancient India. Arjun walked through the bushes until he finally found the source. It was Ekalavya. The boy had not gone to community college after all. He was right there in the woods. Arjun observed him carefully. The boy was putting the finishing touches on his artwork. His artwork was a giant three-dimensional painting but made entirely of arrows. And Ekalavya had fired each arrow into it from a long distance. The ends of the arrows were colored. Ekalavya picked up a yellow-colored arrow and fired it. It landed precisely at the center of the sun in this giant three-dimensional landscape, completing it. It was a beautiful picture. There must have been hundreds and thousands of arrows here. And the fact that Ekalavya had colored the arrows before firing them made Arjun envy him. This guy was brilliant. Hi, Arjun said as he approached. What do you think? Ekalavya asked not bothering to return the greeting or to introduce himself. It's fantastic, it's marvellous, stupendous, Arjun blurted out. Nah, you're just being polite, Ekalavya said. Or maybe you didn't notice after all. You see the ladybug there on that leaf in the corner? I got the colours wrong. It should have been red with black spots. Instead, I colored it black with red spots. Oh, look, you brought your dog with you. I'm sorry if this is your dog, but it was loud and it was disturbing my concentration, 
I just wanted to shut it up for a few seconds. Who taught you to do this? Asked Arjun, ignoring the dog completely at this point. Dronacharya, said Ekalavya with a big grin. Arjun was furious. How could his professor do this? Arjun was supposed to be learning all this. Dronacharya had promised Arjun that he would make him the best archer in the world. Instead, he was teaching this boy, Ekalavya, who wasn't even a prince. How could he do that? Arjun stomped off without a word. He stormed into Dronacharya's office. The professor had been in the middle of a power nap. If it had been anyone else but Arjun, Dronacharya would have properly punished them. But Arjun was his favorite. And Dronacharya himself became distressed to see the look on Arjun's face. The professor heard the story and he was puzzled. He had not been teaching Ekalavya. What was the boy talking about? Arjun showed him the dog. Oh my god! You didn't remove his arrows yet, Arjun? Hastily, Dronacharya summoned a couple of teaching assistants to take care of the dog while he and Arjun walked off to talk to Ekalavya to clear this mystery once and for all. When they got there, Ekalavya had already started on his next painting, which was an afternoon market scene in the center of Hastinapur. Pretty complex stuff. Hi, said Dronacharya, to grab Ekalavya's attention. Gurudev, said Ekalavya, and dropped to his knees to greet the professor. Why are you calling me that? I haven't taught you anything. I mean, other than that life is unfair if you're not born a prince. I've learned everything from you, Gurudev, said Ekalavya. How can you? When I haven't taught you, I refused to teach you when you came to me. Indeed, you did. But look here. He gestured towards a very lifelike clay statue. It bore an uncanny resemblance to Dronacharya himself. This is my guru, my teacher. I worship the statue every day and practice under its watchful gaze. Arjun whispered to Dronacharya, I should have known, this guy has gone cuckoo. But Dronacharya wasn't buying it. Ekalavya was self-taught, with just the motivation of a fake pair of eyes staring at him, Ekalavya had become such a skillful marksman. If word got out, it would not reflect well on Dronacharya. People would question if Dronacharya's high tuition fees were even worth it. Hmm, tuition fees. Eureka! 
He had just had an idea. Well done, my boy, said Dronacharya to Ekalavya. Arjun was horrified. Was his professor abandoning him? But there's a big problem, the professor said. You're behind in paying your tuition fees. Ah, Guru Dakshina, Ekalavya said. What's the price? Name it. Anything. Your right thumb, said Dronacharya coldly. Arjun was horrified. Professor, his right thumb? He exclaimed. Come to think of it, you're right, Arjun. I didn't think of that. Wait a minute, Ekalavya. You are right-handed, aren't you? Oh, okay. Carry on then. He said, as the boy had taken out his knife by now. Without any hesitation, Ekalavya chopped off his thumb and handed it to Dronacharya. That was all it took. In case you don't know this, it's impossible to do many things without an opposable thumb. You can't tie a shoelace. You can't button up your shirt. You can't properly grip a coffee cup. And most importantly, you can't fire an arrow properly. Dronacharya calmly accepted the thumb. He wished Ekalavya all the best for the future and walked off with Arjun. Now, Ekalavya still had his left thumb and he could switch from being a right-handed archer to a left-handed one, but it was not easy. Some people, like Nadal, if you watch tennis, have proved that switching from your dominant hand to the other one can still get you results. But unfortunately, this didn't quite work out as well for Ekalavya. A few notes on today's show. Was Dronacharya a monster for doing this to Ekalavya? Many people think so. This was one of the earliest examples of limiting the competition. Imagine this happening at the Olympics. It's definitely not sporting behavior. Over the centuries, people have tried to excuse Dronacharya's behavior by saying that Ekalavya's sharpened skills would have caused much more disruption and violence. But that's purely hypothetical, since Dronacharya clipped his wings early. And as an epilogue, the dog in the story wasn't harmed at all, proving again that Ekalavya had mastered his skills. It's remarkable that the dog continued to face Ekalavya long enough for the boy to fire one arrow after another. But that was part of Ekalavya's skill as well. Ekalavya is often quoted as an example of a dedicated student, someone who unquestioningly follows his teacher's orders. You could ask yourself 
why Ekalavya needed to create the statue at all. After all, everything he had learned was self-taught. But the answer was that he needed inspiration. It's the equivalent of young children with posters of Tendulkar or Dhoni on their bedroom walls. But I bet Tendulkar or Dhoni will never ask their young fans to sacrifice their career just so that their own legacy could be protected. There is a temple dedicated to Ekalavya in Gurugram near Delhi where the incident happened. There is also a stadium named after Ekalavya in Agra. And there's a government-run school called the Ekalavya Model School. But don't worry. The Ekalavya Model School does not make you pay gruesome tuition fees. Check out the links in the show notes for other Mahabharat episodes. That's where we'll end it this week. In the next episode, we'll do a folktale from Manipur. This one explains why the cuckoo can only drink water from one specific source. And it also explains the value of community work. If you have comments or suggestions, or if there are particular stories you would like to hear, please do let me know by leaving a comment or a review on the site sfipodcast.com or tweet at sfipodcast. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook. Be sure to subscribe to the show to get notified automatically of new episodes. A big thank you to each and every one of you for your continued support and your feedback. The music is from purpleplanet.com. That's purple-planet.com. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time.